this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. What is his will? We started with that, asked that question last week, what is his will? And, and I said, if you want to know what God's will is, ask him. Ask him that the Spirit guides us into all truth and understanding. But there are actually things that we don't need to ask to know what God's will is because he's already revealed them to us through the writing of the scriptures and the inspiration of the Spirit and guiding these people to record God's actions through the prophets, through his disciples, through his followers to communicate what he revealed to them to us. We know that it's God's will to restore his kingdom. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And Jesus' opening salvo to his ministry was the kingdom of heaven is near, that he came to restore God's kingdom. And it's a work in progress that one day God's rule over all creation will be completely and fully reestablished. Hey, James. In a general sense, on a, on a personal level, we know, because Jesus told us through his, in his ministry to his disciples, recorded us in, two, in the Gospels, that he came that we might have life and have it to the full, that his will for us is the fullness of the life of God. We know that he wants us to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. It goes all the way back to God's teaching to Moses when they asked Jesus, hey, what's the, what's the most important thing to do? What's the greatest commandment? He says, love God. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You don't need to ask God if you should love your neighbor. Fully established. He's declared it. That we know that the life of God and the love of God is his purpose for us. Jesus connects those things. He says, obey my command to love one another as I have loved you. And your joy will be complete. Your fullness of light will be fuller. Your fullness of light will be completed, brought to fullness as you love your others the way that I have loved you. During his ministry, Jesus introduced the first fruits of the kingdom in very personal ways. Right? Blind people got their sight back. Deaf and mute people could hear and speak. Lame people were healed and restored so that they could walk again. Rejected people were accepted. Broken-hearted people were healed. Dead people were raised. First fruits, signs of the coming kingdom of God. Spiritually, sinners were forgiven and led to repentance, turning from their life of sin to the life of God again. Jesus said to his disciples that you will continue, you will carry forward the work of the kingdom. In John chapter 14, he says, Very truly I tell you, 
Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What we're after in much of our prayer life is for that, right? Is for God to bring his kingdom fully upon our lives now in all the ways that they're not completely renewed yet, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. We ask the Spirit to guide us in how to pray for those things. That was last week's message. But this morning, I want to pull back the focus from our immediate circumstances, from the burdens that you walked in with today, and ask, is there a broader perspective that can help us understand what God is up to in our lives on a personal level as it relates to his kingdom as he does and doesn't answer the things that we ask him for in the ways that we ask him? What is God's end game, not just for the kingdom on a broader perspective, but what is God's end game for you? As you move through history and into glory, what's going to happen? What is God, what are his intentions? Jesus said in John chapter 17, prays that, that we may be one as he and the Father are one. Jesus in us and God in him. That his end game for us is complete union, communion, fellowship, oneness with God, the same kind of oneness that Jesus had with the Father, that we would have with Jesus and with Jesus, in Jesus, be in the Father. Complete, uninterrupted fellowship and communion with God. Through the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, praise that we would become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ in us. In Ephesians chapter 1, long before he laid down earth's foundations, God had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. His end game for you is that you would be made whole, complete, and holy holy, fully set apart, consecrated to, cleansed, restored in your union with God, whole and holy. In Galatians, oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue, Paul says, until Christ is fully developed in your lives. That what God is up to, what God is doing as he brings forward his kingdom in your life is bringing you into the fullness and the completeness of Christ's likeness.
And by Christ-likeness, I don't mean that you look like Jesus or you have Jesus' voice, but that you have the, the, the complete oneness and union, union with God that allows you to live out the glory for which you were created from the foundations of the earth. Have you ever had this experience where you say, you feel like, you know, part of me wants to love my neighbor. And part of me wants to do something very mean and nasty to them because they're annoying. Part of me wants to serve. And part of me wants to sit on the couch and eat cherry bonbons. Part of me wants to be generous with my life and with my resources and all that God has entrusted to me. And part of me wants to say, hey, I worked hard for this. It's mine. Why should I share anything or do anything for anybody else, especially those who aren't doing anything themselves? Part of me wants to. And there's another part of me that doesn't. Paul gave us an inside window into the part of hymns in his life in Romans chapter 7. It was part of me wants to do the things that I know that God wants me to do, but I don't do those things. And there's a part of me that doesn't want to do the things that I know God doesn't want me to do, but the, there's a part of me that still wants to do those things. That we are fragmented beings. That it's not just this feeling that we have that a part of me wants to and a part of me doesn't. There actually is a part of you that wants to and a part of you that doesn't. David prayed for an undivided heart. He prayed for a whole heart. To love God with our whole heart. We need a whole heart to, to love God with. But to have a whole heart, we need God to do a work in us to restore our hearts. And that is the end game, the fullness of Christ in you. To be made whole and holy by his love is to have your life and your heart reconnected again. John Eldridge says, the goal of God's work in you is Jesus taking up residence in every part of you. Jesus taking up residence in all the parts of you that he doesn't yet have full reign over. Those divided parts, he's bringing them back together. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. to bring the pieces back together. And all of this is happening in the context of a clash of kingdoms. We talked about spiritual warfare a couple weeks ago, that when God is re restoring and reclaiming his kingdom, that as his kingdom advances, 
He's taking territory away. And as we participate in the work of his kingdom, we're advancing on enemy territory who opposes us. And the, and the battle lines are clearly drawn, Jesus says. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy comes to take ground away. The enemy comes to steal your life, to divide your heart, to crush you, to pull you apart. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I have come to put you back together. Which is why life sometimes feels a lot more like a combat zone than a day spa. Right? Doesn't your life make more sense if you think about the realities and the struggles and the challenges? That there's a war going on? That there's a battle being fought? And this work is a process. Jesus went to the cross to restore our union with God. To cleanse our sins that separated us from God. That those sins now covered by his blood, sacrificed for the forgiveness of them, would be the barrier between us and God would be removed so that we could be restored to him. And if salvation is the ticket to heaven, if, if that's it, if, if salvation is really just about, hey, now you can get to go to heaven when you die, then salvation ends there. But the author of Hebrews says this, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By the sacrifice of Jesus, his blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, we are made perfect through Christ. By that, by that one act in receiving Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, on our behalf he says, we are made perfect. Today, as we are, where we are. And he says that those who have been made perfect are also being made holy. Something's done and something is still being done. Jesus says it this way, the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Think about that, right? God has put this yeast in you and is working it through your life and it's spreading out part by part by part through your whole story, and your whole life. And all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your pain and all of your heartbreak 
and all the things that you've, all the conclusions you've come to because of the battle and the struggle and the frustration and the disappointment and the anger and the bitterness and the resentment, working through part by part by part by part by part until you are filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. You are made whole and holy again. Prayer works. Prayer works. We pray for the coming kingdom of God now. As we have been for the past several weeks, and we're going to conclude our service again this morning, we're praying for the coming of God's kingdom now. A kingdom where there is no more sin or suffering or sorrow our pain, because all of it has been eradicated. All things made new. We pray for the kingdom of heaven to become now because Jesus did. In his ministry, he did it. He prayed for the kingdom of God over the blind person they saw. And he prayed for the kingdom of God over the dead person they heard. And he prayed for the kingdom of God over the lame person and they walked. And he prayed for the kingdom of God over the leper and they were healed. And he, just, he taught his disciples to do the same thing, to pray for the kingdom of God now. We pray for it because through it, when God brings forth his kingdom, in a moment, people experience the power and the presence and the love of God over their lives. We pray for it because when God intervenes and brings his kingdom in a moment, it brings glory to him. It authenticates the message of the good news of the kingdom of God. We're instructed to, to pray for miracles, for breakthrough today. And we will, we do. We put those prayers in the context of a larger story. Every one of us is destined to die a physical death. Everyone that Jesus healed in his ministry the blind people and the deaf people and the lame people, even the people that he brought back from the dead, Lazarus, the widow's son. They all lived the rest of their life and they still died. Every one of us is destined to die a physical death. That this larger story that we're living in is a story in which, while outwardly we are wasting away, when God heals you today, outwardly you will continue to give way to gravity. And I, everyone I talk to who is older than me tells me that it doesn't, like, it's just not a fun process, right? That there is a reality 
a kingdom reality that even while we are wasting away outwardly, we are being inwardly renewed day by day so that we are not becoming less of ourselves but more of ourselves even as our life fades in this world. That we are being changed, Paul says, from glory to glory with ever-increasing glory. Which then leads us to ask a broader set of questions. As we pray for God's healing now and try and continue to walk and live by faith in a world where sometimes we experience that in breakthrough ways and in powerful ways that, that are undeniably God's presence and power being manifest in that situation. And sometimes we're like little James. And we're not seeing what we want to see and we're not getting what we want to get and we're asking Jesus, why? Help me make sense of this. To go back to what Paul says. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Not to ask the question, God, why are you doing this? Because oftentimes I think we give God credit for doing things that, that God isn't doing. That God is not causing some of the horrific things that take place in the world, those things happen because the world is full of people who are broken and separated from God and because we have racked his creation with sin and oppression and injustice because evil continues to take its assault against us. But to ask God, why? Not why, how? Whatever is going on, God, that you, that you are doing and whatever it is that we see you, that we wish you were doing and that you're not doing, helping, and it helps us. God, how are you using this in my life to move me towards being made whole and holy by your love? to the fullness of the measure of Christ. How are you using it, and how will you use it? How will you use it, God, to draw me into a deeper union and make me more wholehearted like Jesus? How will you use it, God, to bring help and hope and comfort to others? How will you use whatever we're going through right now to bring glory to you and expand the work of your kingdom? At the end of the clip that we watched, Jesus said to little James, little James, you will be healed. 
It is only a matter of time. Paul writes, may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. I said at the beginning that in the clip that I showed you that there was things that I didn't necessarily wouldn't fully say absolutely that's what I think is a a correct interpretation but I think there are things that are so powerfully illustrated in that that it's worth it. That this is true. You will be healed. It is only a matter of time. And until that day, that you will never walk alone. I will never leave you or forsake you. If you feel like you are alone today, that you have been abandoned, forsaken, forgotten, the truth of the kingdom of God is that you are not. And the enemy is assaulting your heart and your mind and your spirit. Push back against it and ask God to open your eyes to his presence in your life and in your realm and in your world again. Declare the truth. God, you have said you will never leave me or forsake me. My hope is in you. I am not forsaken. I am not forgotten. I am not alone because you are the creator and the sustainer of the universe. Declare the truth. Claim it for your own again. You will never walk alone. And this, God is working. God is at work. I don't know how. I don't know what he's doing. I wish I had a better picture. I wish I had a better understanding for my own life, let alone yours. But God is at work. <laughs> Little James. What, what, imagine this, right? How crazy that you, in your brokenness, are going to go out and heal people of their sickness. In some way, shape, or form, at some level, that is every follower of Christ's story. Because you're not a finished work yet. Because he is still healing parts of your heart and soul and mind and spirit. And even as he's doing that, he purposes to use you to be ministers of his kingdom to other people in their pain in their heartache, in their suffering.